Support for Criminal comes from 1Password. If you're someone who's ever reused an old password, or you just hate creating and keeping track of new ones, then it might be time to try a password manager. 1Password generates as many strong, unique passwords as you need and securely stores them in an encrypted vault that only you have access to. All you have to do is remember one strong account password that protects everything else. Right now, our listeners get a free two-week trial for you and your family at onepassword.com criminal. That's the number one, password.com criminal for two free weeks. onepassword.com criminal. Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. Around here, you know that you don't steal from lobster fishermen. Um, you don't steal from any fishermen. And uh, there are consequences. There's a small island in Canada, in Nova Scotia, called Isle Madame, where fishermen are up and out on the ocean at 4 a.m., pulling up traps full of lobsters, millions of dollars worth of lobster. You need a license to fish for them, and the licenses are very expensive, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Someone who has a license that can set 250 traps can stand to make close to uh, $500,000 in the run of a year, give or take. It's quite lucrative, and... Uh, a lot of people's livelihoods rely on that. And uh, that's been really driving the economy and been the cornerstone of it for, for quite some time. Everybody knows somebody who's involved with lobsters. Oh, absolutely, yeah. They're either related or uh, married into it or, or they just know them, you know. Everybody knows who the lobster fishermen are. This is Jake Boudreau. He's the editor of The Reporter, a newspaper in Port Hawkesbury, Nova Scotia, he grew up on Isle Madame, and he says it's a place where many of the people that live there have been there a long time. There's always been that tradition of, of taking care of families, um, watching out, looking out for one another. Um, you know, a lot of people are related. Um, a lot of people grew up together. The year-round population of Isle Madame is around 4,000. When you look it up, you find that most people call it an idyllic place. Rocky coastlines, small harbors... Lighthouses that have been called the prettiest in Canada. Jake Boudreau says that despite all that, Isle Madame doesn't get the summer tourist crowds like other parts of the coastline. Jake says people on Isle Madame are used to doing things for themselves. It's always been that way. You're a fisherman, but you also have the skills to fix your own boat or be a carpenter as well. It's a do it yourself kind of ethos, he says. And he says that applies to everything, including handling disputes. He says people on Isle Madame don't trust the police much to help. One morning in the summer of 2013, Jake received word that a boat had been found overturned. The boat was called the Midnight Slider, 
and everyone knew the man it belonged to. But he was nowhere to be found. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. The Midnight Slider belonged to a 43-year-old man named Philip Boudreau. One man on the island said Midnight Slider was a good name for the boat and for Philip Boudreau because he was always out there somewhere, sliding around in the middle of the night, in the woods, on the water. You never knew where. Jake Boudreau says everyone on the small island knew the name of Philip Boudreau. They're not related. Jake says there are a lot of Boudreaux on the island. An Isle Madame resident and journalist named Silver Donald Cameron interviewed a lot of people on the island. People who said they were happy to talk about Philip, but didn't want their names used because it's such a small place. One person described him as a kind of Robin Hood who'd help you get anything you needed. One said, quote, If I'd have told him that there was something I wanted, he would have went and stole it. Someone else said, you got better deals from Philip than you ever got from Walmart. And another person said, Philip would steal the beads off Christ's moccasins. But then, if you needed them, he'd turn around and give them to you. People described him as a strange genius and said, quote, that he figured out exactly where the holes were in the system. He didn't fall between the cracks. He lived in the cracks. There's a story about Philip Boudreau being chased by police and running right off the end of a dock and into the freezing cold water. He found some seaweed to hide under, and when he had to come back up to get air, his middle finger came up first. Some people tried to help. People offered him jobs. One couple bought him a plane ticket to Calgary to start fresh, living and working with a family friend. But he just came back to Isle Madame. Philip even stole from Jake Boudreau's family once. He stole their three-wheeler to go for a joyride and then just brought it back a while later. I, I didn't know Philip personally. I did have some brief interactions with him. I, I saw a mild-mannered side to him. But then, you know, you hear stories from other people of, of a not-so-mild side. There seemed to be two sides to him, um, you know, and he, he didn't seem to fit into any box. Philip Boudreau grew up on Almadam. He was one of four kids. One of his teachers remembered that when he was little, about eight years old, there was a day when he kept falling asleep in class. She asked Philip if he was sick, and he said that he hadn't gotten much sleep because it had been his turn to make sure the wood stove stayed lit all night. Teachers remember that he would sometimes come to school with his face cut or bruised. He eventually dropped out of school. I mean, he was known to make trouble in school and wasn't a great student. Uh, as far as the thefts and that, you know, I wasn't aware of that as much then. It, uh, it's something that's became known uh, as time went on, you know, as we get into the 90s and, you know, there was more of that that went on. But, uh, you know, the reputation doesn't take long to get out. As he got older, he was in and out of jail. And while some people thought he was kind of funny, this Robin Hood figure, even sometimes letting him hide from police on their property, plenty of people on Isle Madame didn't find anything funny about any of it. 
People said he was a problem and a bully. No matter how many times he went to jail, he just kept coming back, and he just kept stealing. I mean, there was a lot of people who, you know, promised him that if he broke into their house that he wouldn't like what would happen. I mean, you can infer from that what you will. I know there was people who made specific threats that he would get shot if they showed up in his property, or worse, or I don't know worse uh, than getting shot, but uh, or, or other consequences. There were people who, uh, you know, were not happy that, you know, he could steal from him or wood or head. And then there were others who, you know, kind of looked at it in the context of, you know, his upbringing and, and that he did come from unfortunate circumstances. And they, you know, there, were, there was some pity for him. And uh, some people felt bad. It was, it was a mixed bag. I mean, there's, it just depends on the person. I know there's people who did catch him stealing or uh, knew that it was him and went to his house, picked him up and took him to where he stole or damaged and made him fix it or replace it. And which he did, uh, you know, uh, oddly enough, he didn't even deny it and just went about and, and uh, did what they told him to do. It's a mixed bag of tolerance, I guess, in, in that case. By the time Philip Boudreau was in his early 40s, his criminal record was 28 pages long, mostly breaking and entering and theft, but also harassment and assault and making violent threats. He had threatened to sink people's boats and to burn down people's houses. Some people felt that it wasn't worth it to report Philip to the police in the first place. If he reported him, he'd find out who made the complaint. And as one person put it, once Philip found out it was you, he'd come back to your house and do $10,000 worth of damage. The police wouldn't catch him, and you'd have to pay for the repairs. Someone else said that he was simply a fact of life, and you dealt with him as best you could. And when lobsters went missing from lobstermen's traps on Isle Madame people had a pretty good idea of who might be stealing them. Philip would go out uh, late at night and uh, go in his uh, his aluminum boat with an outboard motor on the back, and he would uh, go from trap to trap, pull up the traps, take the lobsters out, either all or some, and put them back. Now, sometimes he would do that and then cut the trap, which meant that that trap and uh, what was in there was lost or for good, unless he could find maybe a someone to go down there and dive and find it. So, you know, the theft of the lobster is probably not as bad as cutting the trap and then having that trap lost forever. And uh, it, it was, you know, it was quite common. Um, I mean, he was known to flash the money around. Uh, I know he approached uh, some family members of mine to, if they wanted to buy some lobster from him, uh, you know, people knew he didn't have a license nor that he was getting them from another fisherman so, you know, it was, it was well-known. And uh, among the fishermen, uh, they knew what he was doing. Thanks to 1Password for their support. It can be annoying to create so many new, unique passwords with arbitrary numbers, symbols, and letters every time we need one. And then once we've created one that works, we have to try to keep track of it and not reuse it anywhere else. And not choose anything that's easy to guess or remember. 1Password can take care of all of that for you. 
One password generates as many strong, unique passwords as you need and securely stores them in an encrypted vault that only you have access to. It uses industry-leading security to bring private, secure, and user-friendly password management to everyone. With 1Password, you just need to remember one strong account password that protects everything else. It's a great way to keep things organized and private, so you'll no longer need to keep tabs on a bunch of long, convoluted passwords or reuse the same one ever again. Join the millions of users and over 100,000 businesses who trust 1Password's award-winning password manager. Right now, our listeners get a free two-week trial for you and your family at onepasswordcom criminal. That's the number one, password.com slash criminal for two free weeks. OnePassword.com slash criminal. Support for Criminal comes from Factor. After a long day at work, sometimes the most convenient dinner option is ordering takeout. But if you make a habit of it, it can get pricey. Factor offers restaurant-quality, ready-to-eat meals delivered right to your doorstep. Factor's meals are both nutritious and tasty, and you can choose from more than 35 different options weekly. They have a variety of meal types to fit your needs, too, like keto, calorie-smart, vegan, and veggie, and more, with plenty of delicious add-ons also. I've tried Factor meals myself. Lately, I've enjoyed their shredded chicken taco bowl and Thai-roasted vegetable green curry. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. You can also pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Head to factormeals.com slash Phoebe50 and use code Phoebe50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code Phoebe50 at factormeals.com slash Phoebe50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Jake Boudreau says he spoke to a number of fishermen around Isle Madame who said their lobster traps were being emptied out in the middle of the night. They also told him that even though they reported the thefts to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the RCMP, nothing was being done about it. Apparently, every year at the pre-season meeting of the Department of Fisheries and Oceans, fishermen would ask what was going to be done about Philip Boudreau, and officials would say they'd work on the problem. There didn't seem to be any investigations, There didn't seem to be any action on complaints, and uh, there didn't seem to be any follow-up. When we contacted the RCMP for this story, they sent a statement that reads in part, In this matter, police had received some complaints concerning allegations and assertions that were swirling in the community over time. These complaints were investigated, and many were not incidents for which charges could be laid or there wasn't enough evidence to lay charges. It just seemed like the RCMP wasn't interested in, in, in doing anything about this. From all the evidence that I've compiled and everybody I've talked to, the overwhelming consensus is that the RCMP just didn't do enough. They were just not there when the people needed them. And Philip Boudreau just kept stealing from the traps. And, and blatantly doing so, it didn't seem that he was really trying to conceal what he was doing. I, I spoke to a couple people who caught him on camera and sent the footage to the RCMP and, and nothing was done. Now, I know the RCMP have, have later claimed that the people themselves didn't pursue it. I, I'm not sure what that means. Uh, in my understanding of if a member of the public comes forward with a complaint, it up to the police to investigate that complaint, especially when there's footage involved, which to me is quite damning, even if you can't 
fully make out that it's that person, it's certainly enough uh, to go on and, and at least uh, look into this. But the blatancy with which Philip was perpetrating these crimes led me to believe that uh, he didn't believe he was going to get caught or, or you know, apprehended by law enforcement. Philip reportedly threatened the police, too. One retired RCMP staff sergeant has said he himself had been threatened and that Philip had once made a veiled threat against his daughter. An officer from the Department of Fisheries and Oceans who had attempted to talk to Philip reportedly got to his car one day to find his tires slashed. He couldn't prove who did it. He bought replacement tires, and then those were also slashed. Philip Boudreau would reportedly call fisheries officers and threaten to burn down their houses. He reportedly left gasoline on one officer's front porch. When the midnight slider turned up empty in June of 2013, Jake Boudreau says the people on Isle Madame didn't seem to be in a rush to look for Philip. Because it seemed that... Uh or it was possible that Philip had uh, just did one of his temporary disappearing acts where he took off for a weekend and people couldn't find him and then showed up uh, a few days later. And uh, I went out to the search that morning and uh, there didn't seem to be a lot of uh, alarm or concern. Uh, I can remember people out looking for him and were coming back, you know, laughing. You know, the searchers were searching and that, but there didn't seem to be a great deal of uh, panic. And, it, you know, it didn't seem like an atmosphere where they were fearing for someone's life. And uh, over time, it became apparent that uh, something had happened. And uh, before long, it grew to become a, a fact that something had happened. A baseball hat belonging to Philip Boudreau was found near the water, and his green rubber boots were seen floating in the harbor. Jake Boudreau says that he started talking to the fishermen on the island. Most of the people I talked to, you know, the fishermen and, and others in the community, believe that uh, he, he got what he deserved. You know, it, there was some disagreement there, but uh, the consensus seemed to be that, uh, that this was coming. On the day Philip Boudreau disappeared, several witnesses told police that something had been going on with a lobster boat called the Twin Maggies. Some fishermen told police that they'd seen the Twin Maggies in water too deep for traps, where they wouldn't normally be, and there was something dragging behind it. A lobster buyer reported that the boat had arrived an hour later than usual, and that it had scuff marks on it. Three men had been out on the Twin Maggies that day. The captain was Dwayne Sampson. His wife Carla owned the boat. The second-in-command was Carla's father, a man named James Landry. And the third man, Craig Landry. He was James Landry's cousin. Within days, the crew of the Twin Maggies was arrested and charged with second-degree murder. So the police arrest the crew of the Twin Maggies, uh, these three men. When these men are arrested, what is the the public reaction to their arrests? Um, What... It was a lot of shock, you know, shock was was definitely the mood of the day. I mean, there hadn't been a murder at that point, and uh, before that was in the 80s, and then before that was in the 70s, so murders is not something that occurs in this neck of the woods uh, very often. 
When questioned by police, Craig Landry and Dwayne Sampson wouldn't say anything. At first, James Landry wouldn't talk either. But after hours of questioning, when the officer asked him, Do you regret what happened? Be honest with yourself. He said, Yeah, I regret it. James Landry told the officer his version of what happened that day. They uh, steamed out of Petit de Grau Wharf, took a right outside the harbor. They saw Philip at uh, one of their traps, apparently shone the light on him. James said that he then fired his gun at Philip four times. They then proceeded to go to his boat. They ran over his boat. Philip was in the water. James Landry claimed that it was all his doing. He said that 30 of his lobster traps had been cut, costing his family thousands of dollars. He said a fellow lobsterman told him that he'd seen Philip Boudreau out there near his traps. Someone else said that Philip admitted to cutting the Landry family's traps on three different occasions and said, I'm not finished. So when they saw Philip Boudreau near their traps, James said he couldn't take it anymore. He said, I wanted to destroy him. He said he'd been the one to shoot at Philip four times, and then he ran the twin Maggies into Philip's boat and then ran over it. Philip's boat capsized, he said, and then Philip disappeared from view. That was it. But then, three weeks later, Craig Landry finally talked, and his version of events was different. He said that Dwayne, the captain of the Twin Maggies, was also making decisions. It was his idea to go after Philip in the first place. It was Dwayne who ordered Craig to load the gun and told James to fire it and said, he's going to get a scare this time. Craig said it had been James's idea to ram Philip's boat, but that Dwayne had been the one to actually do it. They then gaffed Philip with a gaff hook, something that you use to haul up a trap or, or corral rope or anything. They then drug him out to sea, and um, as they were dragging him out, he drowned. And uh, then they tied a, an anchor around him and sunk him into a deep chasm outside of uh, Petit de Gras Harbor. His body was never found. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police sent out divers, but had no luck. The interesting thing about that part of the investigation, they asked fishermen to join the search, and one fisherman out of dozens agreed to help. About a week after he gave his statement, Craig Landry was released on bail. And a few weeks later, when Dwayne Sampson applied for bail, the community came together to raise money. It was quite remarkable. People immediately took up the cause of raising money, uh, went door to door, and uh, raised money relatively quickly. People gave willingly. There were some holdouts. You know, some people were related to Philip or knew Philip or just didn't like what happened. But uh, my understanding was a vast majority of the community, especially in Northern Almadam, more than willingly gave to that and quickly and easily raised money for his bail. You know, but I don't know if that speaks to the loyalty of the people or just that he was respected and liked, I guess, as well. But it was, it was quite a remarkable thing. 
And also wrote wrote letters to a testament of his character. Mm. Yes, yes. Petition. Which doesn't surprise me either, yeah. You know, Dwayne was, was, seemed to be very well liked in his community. And uh, then you had people who just probably totally agreed with what he did. Maybe not, didn't even know Dwayne that well. Knew of him and uh, thought what he did was right. Dwayne Sampson was released on bail. James Landry, who said it was all his doing, remained in custody. You know, by taking full responsibility, it, it, it became very clear that uh, he was, you know, he was trying to protect the family and the family's interests. I, I think the calculation that James made was that he was older, that, you know, he, he could serve the time, and uh, that he had less to lose, you know, being older and, you know, kind of retired or should have been retired. I, I think he felt that, he, you know, if he fell on the sword, it would save everybody else. And uh, it seemed to be something that he, a calculation that he made fairly early on. You know, whether you agree or disagree with it, you know, I mean, even if you take responsibility, does it necessarily deflect any of the blame from the other parties involved? You know, that's hard to say, but uh, it gives the RCMP basically their, their person who said they shot him, admitted to it, admitted to participating in his death, and, and uh, you know, there it is wrapped up in a bow. So, uh, you know, I guess, why wouldn't you take it? There was a little problem, though, with his story, and, and that was the gun. Yes. During the investigation, police asked James Landry where the gun was. First, he said he threw it overboard. Then he said it was at his house. That wasn't true either. Police found the real gun at his son-in-law Dwayne Sampson's house. Jake Boudreau says he thinks that James was trying his best to protect his family. While James, Craig, and Dwayne were awaiting trial, a large number of people in Isle Madame rallied around them, and their families. I talked to a lot of people who felt that James uh, did a favor to doll fishermen and even some residents who didn't have to deal with Philip, uh, you know, stealing their lobster, cutting their traps, or going into their house and stealing the items or breaking in. There was a lot of people helping them. Uh, they had people fishing their lobster, their license. The boat was, was confiscated as part of the investigation, so they, uh, they couldn't use the boat to fish. So there were fishermen who uh, went out and, and fished their license for them. Their family was, was there for them, uh, you know, helped them in every way and babysitting. And, and there was people in the community who, you know, offered support to them. It was, you know, like, like any calamity, a sickness, death, you know, anything that happens, people line up, especially if you're in that family, you line up and you help out and you, you know, you, you pitch in. And that's, that's just the way it's always been. And uh, I doubt it will change anytime soon. And uh, there, there's, you know, a lot of people in the community who, who felt he, he did a favor to everybody. And, uh, you know, uh, basically, uh, you know, took out the trash, I guess is a coarse way of saying it. But I, I think there's a lot of people who probably agree with that. Um, you know, and on the other side, you had a lot of people who believed that they were trash for doing that. That uh, what they did was inexcusable. And there was a lot of people that, you know, morally 
just couldn't get their mind around it and couldn't forgive them for it. And then there's others who were related to Philip or knew Philip and felt that, you know, for all his faults, he didn't deserve to be killed in that fashion. Many people came to Philip Boudreaux's funeral. Even though he had a lot of enemies and had stolen from so many people on the island, as one person said, it's a time for setting aside grievances. One fisherman said there were lots of older people there. Philip would sometimes leave lobsters for them at their doors. Community members went out in boats to the place where Philip died and placed a wreath on the water. His obituary says he died at sea. James Landry was tried for the murder of Philip Boudreaux in November of 2014. During his opening argument, the prosecutor told the jury, this case is about murder for lobster. The midnight slider was transported to the basement of the courthouse. The judge encouraged members of the jury to walk around it. They were shown the bullet holes and shown video of James Landry confessing. James Landry's defense attorney argued that just because he'd claimed responsibility didn't mean he did it. He said, Most of us would like to think that if someone we cared about were in peril, we would make a sacrifice for them. We'd jump in front of a car to save our kid. James Landry tried to take the fall for a murder, and the police believed him for a while. The jury found James Landry guilty of manslaughter, not murder. The sentencing took place two months later. Philip Boudreaux's sister read a victim impact statement in which she said that her family could see the place where he died from their house. She described how her brother was discarded, like, quote, old bait. The judge sentenced James Landry to 14 years in prison. Dwayne Sampson pled guilty to manslaughter and didn't have a trial. At his sentencing, the judge said that he did not consider cutting lobster traps to be provocation and sentenced him to 10 years. Craig Landry was sentenced to two years probation. The judge in James Landry's trial said that the men on the Twin Maggies had perpetrated vigilante justice and that respect for the law was, quote, necessary to our society. If each of us were able to exercise revenge and retribution, as we alone determine, it would be chaos characterized by fear and brutality. But in his book, Blood on the Water, A True Story of Small-Town Revenge, Silver Donald Cameron spoke to someone on Isle Madame who said, It's something that had to be done. It's just a pity that it was those guys that had to do it. He quotes someone else as saying, Those guys were not murderers. I cried when they sent James to jail. I've heard actually more than one person say that they should have made a statue because what James did was uh, was a good thing, that he was, you know, a hero, that he should have been inducted into the Order of Nova Scotia. I've, I've heard all those things. There's a lot of people who felt that Philip had worn out his welcome and um, that what James did was the right thing to do. When you, you, you know, steal lobsters, you're looking at, that's a lot of money that, that you're stealing and uh, you're stealing food off someone's plate. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's money that's hard-earned Uh, It requires a lot of work. As newspapers all over Canada reported on the case, they often referred to it using that phrase from the prosecutor, 
murder for lobster. A lot of people on Isle Madame thought it was pretty cheap. One person said, Look, if that guy had come in my shed and took a screwdriver, would you have said murder for screwdriver? It's not about the value of what he stole. It's about having someone that is constantly disrupting people's lives. A lot gets lost. The whole case gets lost when you reduce it down to murder for lobster. Uh, basically, what you're saying is they, you know, he was stealing my lobster, so I shot him. But there's, you know, a lot more to this case than that. You had people who were didn't have a criminal history engaging in criminality. So what drives them to that? Uh, there has to be more than just stealing lobster. You know, they didn't just see him once doing this or hear of him once doing this, that, that there must have been more to the story, right? Uh, it seems like they're just a bunch of fishermen, and that's it. Dwayne was called a fisherman, and James were called a fisherman, and it seemed like that's who they're identified as, right? And it's, you know, their people, their fathers, their brothers, their sons. Uh, these people had a life, have a life, and had a life before fishing and, and in the uh, when they're not fishing. And uh, that humanity just seemed to get completely lost in this, this theme of commerce, you know, where they killed him for lobster and it's all about money. People are making big money off a of lobster and uh, just reduced it down to just capitalism. And uh, it's far more than that. Um, you know, there's people involved. There's humanity here. And uh, a title like Murder for Lobster just totally ignores that, you know, the, the human aspect of it. In 2018, James Landry and Dwayne Sampson were released from prison early, after serving only a few years of their 14- and 10-year sentences. James Landry died a year later in 2019. He was 72. Silver Donald Cameron writes that while people have all kinds of different opinions about the case, he describes an overarching mood of sadness and regret. Because it's a community of people who take pride in doing things for themselves— looking after one another. Some people feel like they all failed. They failed Philip Boudreau, the Landry-Sampson family, and each other. As one person put it, there's plenty of guilt to go around. Criminal is created by Lauren Spohr and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Susanna Robertson is our producer. Our technical director is Rob Byers. Julian Alexander makes original illustrations for each episode of Criminal. You can see them at thisiscriminal.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter at Criminal Show. To learn more, you can check out Silver Donald Cameron's book, Blood in the Water, A True Story of Small Town Revenge, And you can find Jake Boudreau's reporting in the Port Hawkesbury Reporter. Criminal is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Discover more great shows at podcast.voxmedia.com. I'm Phoebe Jetsch. This is Criminal. Criminal.